0: You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. This episode is part two of our conversation with Dr. Janice Davis. Dr. Davis is an occupational therapist who focuses on mental health, She's also an expert in the rare skill of listening.
1: You know, I I think sometimes people like you and I, Janice, who um, have students, we can sometimes find ourselves in situations where we're looking at the students as, you know, these students, you know, want to be spoon-fed everything. All these students... (laughs) Then there starts to become this group mentality amongst all of the teachers that we are the teachers and they are the students and mm. there are all these these software patterns in their mind and we've got to erase those patterns right and it starts to become adversarial and the only way I can get around it is to just genuinely look at each one of them as an individual and listen to them and talk to them and yeah. you know and not give them the opportunity to to justify mm. you know um, their fears th- about how we feel about them yeah
2: no i I really fight that um although I, I you know I can be a complainer just like anybody else. it's just kind of a pattern and part of the thing you know part of the the job but deep down i I really think that they're someone I'll work with someday and they'll be a colleague of mine,
0: mm-hmm. so
2: I do try to listen in fact, today, I had a student come in and complain about someone something and someone overheard me and was kind of chiding me about being so nice about it and i well, they're going to be a colleague someday. I'm going to treat them with dignity and listen to their complaint and make them feel like their opinion matters. May not be right, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I think we got to watch that. We really have to watch our attitudes. I wanted to get back to something Carlos said about your, you, And this must be an NLP technique where you um, kind of project a positive intention.
3: Yeah, so in NLP, there's a presupposition that perception is also projection.
2: So explain that and give me an example.
3: Yeah, if you if you walk into something uh, with a belief about, um, let's say, an attitude about people, um, you're going to tend to filter for that experience and your responses, your physiology, your tone will have a tendency to match your pre-recorded Ideas, your pre recorded um, sort of software that you have in there already.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and that will unconsciously elicit the response that you're expecting. Gotcha. So you have to be careful mm-hmm. um, that you're not projecting something that is uh, a disadvantage for you, that's disempowering for you. So you have to always be alert for that. And even as a therapist or someone who works with people, you have to be aware of it too, because, um, you know, little things can get in the way, like viewing the person as broken. You know, this person needs to be fixed mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, this person uh, has a bad attitude or, Oh my gosh, this guy's a complainer. Mm-hmm. You know, that may or may not be true because again, this is our, our, our judgment about it. But the question is really what's valuable to me? Like, uh, what can I use to help me get through this or to solve this? Or, Um, what's the best attitude for me to take as a pre-frame where success becomes inevitable? So you're focusing on what you want rather than what you don't want.
2: I'm just trying to see how this could be Mm. used or taught to students so that when they go into a patient's room, they're in that mode where they're hopefully going to have success.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, um, what we were talking about earlier about um, having respect the other person's model of the world,
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, sometimes people hear that and they just kind of skip over it. But if you really think about it and you have respect for a person's model of the world, even if they've got a, a model that seems kind of um, you know, sick to us, if our intent is to help them heal, then we have to look at it with a sense of um, curiosity, even if we don't totally approve of it, mm-hmm. even if we definitely don't approve of it, Having an attitude of curiosity could help you to elicit layers of it that you wouldn't have seen otherwise, and then you can, you know, teach people maybe that um, having respect doesn't mean agreeing. Right. You know, having respect doesn't mean um, wanting to have that attitude yourself. Respect means you you respect the power that that model has upon them. If you respect the power that that person's model has upon their lives. You can then step in and perhaps make a valuable suggestion. You can perhaps um, help them because they don't view you as a, an attacker. They view you as someone on their team. Mm-hmm. It'd be like the immune system of the body doesn't reject, well, the psychological immune system doesn't reject the therapist because you're not seen as something to reject. So it's. It's absolutely giving you the passkey or the passcode to get into their space, their mental space, their psychic space, their, you know, their feelings.
2: I really like that. Yeah, I think a lot of, um, Satch, you can give give me your opinion too. Don't you hear a lot of students, or actually I see a lot of therapists even, gosh, what am I going to do with this guy? He won't, this patient won't do anything or... You know, he doesn't want to go to group or, you know, we, we hear this all the time, this kind of resistance from patients and we need to find ways to work with it instead of fight it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's some martial arts metaphor for meeting resistance with resistance. It doesn't work. Right. Right. So (laughs) you've got to think of some other way.
1: My approach has always been in that situation, give them what they want until they want what you have to give. Hmm. So when, when, when a client says, Oh yeah, no, I I had occupational therapy at that other hospital and it it didn't do much for me. And then then I might say, you know, I'm really here for physical therapy and, but I know that, you know, uh, my boss doesn't want that, you know, (laughs) I need to try to see this patient. Right. Then my approach was always to immediately go into, into listening mode. Do not go into problem solving mode. go into assessment mode. like I, I, that's one of my big things personally, is like whether I'm dealing with a student, uh, you know, a person in life, a patient. if I meet resistance on their end, I go into assessment mode. And I think that kind of helps me do what you were just describing, Carlos, which yeah. is to kind of it puts me into um I have a structure which is' a, which is neutral. Uh-huh. It's curious. Um, it's investigative. I feel like more like a, like a neutral scientist Mm. and I get to go into their world with more curiosity and nine times out of 10, that's enough.
2: When you say assessment, what are you assessing?
1: I'm trying to assess the entire nature of their resistance. Um, oh, so you had occupational therapy at this other hospital. Um, uh, would you mind telling me what, what it was that you were working on with that therapist? You know, they said, oh, well, he, she wanted me to, you know, do these little silly hand exercises. Okay. Okay. So silly hand exercises. And, and that wasn't going to work for you. Uh, yeah. Right. Because, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here for, for, you know, just my knee. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. You're not here for hand stuff. You need wow. to have your, your time wasted. <laughs> your knee. Okay. Tell me, I'm, I need to understand more about this knee. Tell me about this knee. Well, since I'm not going to do therapy, what's the point? I would say, well, you know, um, the physician wrote the order, and so uh, I'm just going to do my due diligence and complete my evaluation. And by the time we get to the end of this, no problem. You know, that, that's fine. So uh, um, if you wouldn't mind just humoring me and, you know, let me, let me ask the questions I need to ask, then I'd be happy to leave you alone. You know, and they're like, okay, so you know, and then they start telling me about their knee, and I, and 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 then I would listen to everything they have to say, and I would do my assessment, and then I might say something like, like, okay, well, you know, you are your own master, and uh, I'm I'm the last thing I'm gonna do is have you do some kind of therapy that you know you don't want to do, and they'll be like, and they and then and I would kind of close it, and they would say, great, great, thanks, thanks. I said, you know, but um there's one thing I am concerned about. Do You mind if I share, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, you were telling me that, you know, uh, you have a bathtub at home and I'm a little concerned about how you're going to bend that knee enough to get into that bathtub. Well, yeah, you know, that is, yeah, I mean, I think I'll eventually get there. I said, cause you know, physical therapy is going to totally do what you need and they're going to work on your knee. um, I'd be happy to just work on the bathtub. If you want to go through that, you want to feel good about it. You want to make sure that you're confident when you go home. You just let me know. Hmm. Yeah, okay. I, I suppose I could do that. Okay, awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, then we'll just focus on that.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and then we mm-hmm. so so the assessment ends up creating more and more opportunities that they're telling me what they want me to do for them, but they don't yet know that that's what they want me to do for them. So I'm giving them what they want until they want what I have.
2: Gotcha. Give. Gosh, that's w- really.
1: Yeah, I love that. Isn't that cool? I
2: mean, yeah, it's discovery.
3: Cool. You, how how can you solve the problem without discovery?
2: Mm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. you got to really define the problem, and you have to dig pretty deep before you can start fixing something. You
1: guys are such good therapeutic listeners. I can't stand it. It's great. <gasps>
3: yeah. Oh, I know. It what is... a great investigation we're doing here. <laughs> yes, yes.
2: Yeah.
3: Fulfilling our curious minds. <laughs>
4: yeah,
2: yeah. You know, one thing I was thinking about with listening to is you can't beat yourself up if you're if you don't listen in a particular situation. You know, we all try and I I'm a teacher of listening, but I get in situations where I'm tired or you know, I've got a lot on my mind and boy, I just I'm not ready to listen. And so, you know, we have all these wonderful skills and we have to know that we're human and it's going to wax and wane. Some days you're, you know, it, it's going to be wonderful and you're going to really be able to use all those skills. But again, I have to, I think we need to realize that, um, it is very hard to listen and it's not something that we can do day to day on a naturally easy basis because it does take energy
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: to, it takes energy to connect with another human being on a deeper level than we're used to doing. I think a lot about silence too. I think about our culture is so anti-listening <laughs> right now <laughs> yeah, because it, it I don't know about you, but if I go into a restaurant and there's a television on,
3: oh, yeah.
2: It drives me crazy and yeah, the, you know all the noise, there's just noise everywhere. That's annoying. Yeah. yeah. And just to be able to be quiet and listen to someone and maybe not even talk. The Quakers, they don't they have their worship In a circle. And they basically just let people talk Mm -hmm. without judgment or anything, right? Or advice. I I went to a Quaker
1: meeting once. How was it? Um, We sat in silence for an hour.
2: Wow. Did anybody speak?
1: I mean,
2: at some point?
1: Yeah. Every once in a while, somebody might um, speak out the name of a person. And it was the idea that as we all just sat in a room in chairs, we just sat there in silence and closed our eyes. It was like meditating for an hour with in the presence of these other people, and somebody might say, Adam Jones. And everybody just understands that, okay, we're sending a little bit of, you know, love and compassion to Adam Jones. (laughs) Hmm. It was a very peaceful experience, and it was a a wonderful friend of mine. It was a a fellow occupational therapist, actually, Mm -hmm. who I went to school with, who was a Quaker, her and her husband. And I went to that Quaker meeting, and it was a lovely experience. And it was I all think that would be silence.
2: interesting to see because you you were really using silence mm-hmm. as a way to hear something yeah. much deeper. In than- fact,
1: right down the street at the end of the cul-de-sac mm-hmm. um, by Stanbridge, where we work every day, mm-hmm. there is a Quaker Center there. Really? I've seen it. Yeah, maybe hmm. you and I should go over there and I knock on know. the door. We and we'll just open the door and we won't say anything. <laughs> we'll just
2: be silent. Right. Yeah, we'll just walk we'll in and sit down. We'll be listening at everything that yeah. goes on. Just
3: do not ask them for oatmeal. Oh, no. Do not do that. That yeah. that really yeah. aggravates them. Quakers yeah. Quakers don't like they oatmeal? They hate that. Quakers yeah. hate oatmeal? Well, they hate that question because everybody asks that. Quaker oh, oats. Oh, uh, yeah. duh. Yeah, Quaker oats. Gosh, that dumb. took me a while. Dumb, 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 <laughs> dumb jokes. really for i mean you're using this professionally but i mean can't this also be used at home oh gosh their boyfriends and girlfriends and daughters and brothers and fathers and mothers and if you know i
2: think we should start teaching listening in kindergarten and teach it all the way up through high school because it really will change a family think about all the teenagers you know we've seen the movies we've seen the videos dad mom just listen just listen you know, and the teenager is trying to say, "Our car broke down, and that's why we're late." And all this went on. You know, um, we all want our children to be safe, right? But we usually do that through chastising them and yelling at them. And but if we just kind of got to know them better by listening, there's yes, we need to set rules. Yes, there's a reason why we have curfews and things like that. However. It will literally change your life when you start listening to your loved ones at home.
3: So how can they really, or how can all of us practice this? Like, yeah. like really tangibly, like how could we go through the steps of what do we need to do to really bring this into our lives?
2: Well, that's a really good question, but it's not really something that we talk about a lot. And I think it's because we assume, because we have ears, that we listen. You
1: yeah, know, they're, we really, they're always on.
2: They're always mm. on. Yeah, Uh, there are some few exceptions. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But uh, for the most part, we think we're listeners. So that's part of the, you know, we got to get over that first hurdle. Mm -hmm. Not really. You know, you're not really listening. How do you,
1: when you teach the students how to do this compassionate listening, are there a few bullet points that you use to get them started?
2: Yeah, well, I tell them, number one, uh, don't fix.
1: Oh, what what does that mean? Don't 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 fix. fix me.
2: Oh, don't fix don't me. Don't fix me.
1: Okay. I ain't broken. Don't fix
3: me.
2: Yeah. Just mm. listen. But I, well, we we do we get very concrete. Okay. So we have a whole list of active listening skills we're going to practice. I kind of torture them the first night. And I play a patient. And it's a story that I always use because it's real. And I can play it pretty well. And I go around in the circle and I ask every student to ask me just an open-ended question. Okay, because that's the start. That's where we start with listening, an open-ended question.
1: Can yeah. we try it? Yeah, What? Are, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's do it. Let's try let's it. Try so it. You're, you're
2: the patient? I'm the patient. Okay, and what are our instructions? Yeah, I might have to swear I because this patient was... can handle it. We but I'll try it. not to. We can, yeah, um, we're all adults here. But darn it, why am I in this hospital? Why I don't need to be in this group.
1: Oh, and now we ask you
3: an open-ended you're question. You're
2: the therapist. What do you say oh, to me?
3: That's interesting. Tell me more about that.
2: I just don't want to be here. I don't see any reason. I my life sucks. I just I just want to get out of here and go figure out what I'm going to do.
1: Uh, what is your life out of here like?
2: Well, I live in a trailer with a jerk husband who never comes home and never takes me anywhere. And I have a two year old baby who just told me she hates me. So. I must not be a very good mother if my two-year-old hates me, right? Why should I live anymore? I don't have any reason to go on living.
3: If you had a reason, what would it be?
2: Oh, gosh, you're such a good listener, Carlos. You got me there. (laughs) See what you did? You touched me. You touched my heart. Oh, now you've got me thinking about what I long for. Mm. Oh, my daughter. I long for her to have a different life than me, not be with someone that is disrespectful to have a home. To, see what you've done? You've turned me to mush right here.
1: Very nice. Very nice.
2: So just, just yeah. practicing open-ended questions. And it's, it's funny because even though I'm kind of I'm putting on a, a role, I'm, it's not yeah. really me, I still feel the same feelings that that woman might feel when I get a closed question like, oh, well, uh, have you tried moving out? Yeah. And it just makes yeah. sense.
1: Like, w- Are you thinking about divorce?
2: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well,
3: you know, I noticed uh, um, in just in doing that for the time that we did that I found myself fishing for something that I could grab onto. And I, and I know that the idea behind my question was um, what can I hear in what she's saying that leads to the potential of um, something positive? But I know that I'd have to be careful of having that fix it attitude. Because if you had too much of yeah. that fix-it attitude, that could um, make me not a good listener, and it could make my questions seem false or contrived in such a way that I'm not really making you feel, as the listener, that I am listening to you. And right. I would want to do both. I would want you to feel that I care, that I am listening to you, that I, I'm recognizing you as a human being, but I'm also holding space, I guess, to use a modern, new-agey term, <laughs> holding space for what I believe... Um, would make you feel better, um, so I'm asking you I to think, think about it. Is that well, okay?
2: Well, yeah, because I don't think trying to make someone feel better is fixing. Okay. I mean, it is and it isn't, right? You're making them feel better, so hey, yay, I I fixed him. Yeah. But um, no, I think you're trying. That's a a real gift is to get someone to feel better in a dire situation like being sent to a mental hospital because you're suicidal. Mm. You know, how do you feel better about that? Uh, but you can make somebody feel better. Which Thank you, God and, and you're look, finally
3: with a bunch of professionals who really care about you.
2: Exactly.
3: And we're going to take care of you. And
2: we're going to take care of you. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's a time to fix eventually, but yeah. you don't want to fix until you have all the information. It's like your assessment. Mm. you got to get all the information before you know what to fix. Mm. And things are deep, you know. She didn't want to commit suicide just because her two-year-old daughter said, I hate you. And so our job is... Part of our job is to say, you know, that's pretty normal for a two-year-old. Um, so there is some education that can be done, and that's fixing. But first, you have to really understand the big picture.
3: The question is the answer. In, we say this a lot in NLP. Um, and there's the Charles F. Kettering statement, which is um, a question well-formed, is a problem half-solved?
2: Oh, yes, I've heard that. You know? mm-hmm.
3: And, uh, you know, I think that... Um, the Socratic method is is obviously when you you create the inquiry back and forth that um, helps you to get involved with the problem solving with the person by asking the question you're not solving it by telling them what it is, yes. but you're in a way you're guiding them and even if you whether you as the quote unquote guide or teacher knows the answer or doesn't know the answer um you still have the opportunity to ask the question and then the two of you can figure it out.
2: Love it. I
3: know when you're coaching, you don't always know what's best for them,
1: but you can find out if you ask the right questions.
2: Mm -hmm. Carlos,
1: to to try to put that kind of in more tangible terms, is that the Socratic method, is that sort of like if somebody said, like you just said, Janice, um, oh, my two-year-old says she hates me. We get into, and what is hate? Is that sort of the the Socratic method? Or
3: or? or, um, maybe asking about, you know, what are two-year-olds supposed to feel? Okay. You know, what are two-year-olds in settings like they're in supposed to feel about the settings they're in? Okay. You know, the environment. Yeah. You know, it's, it's starting to ponder the question of, is this normal, whatever that is, right? They start to ask that question of themselves because, wait a minute, maybe it's a totally healthy response to feel moments of hate if the circumstances call for it and maybe that could be therapeutic because they need to know that they're not crazy and that maybe it's okay like maybe that's a stage that it's a it's a step along a path and then socratically asking the question might stimulate the the realization as a byproduct that i can relax my kids not nuts you know mm-hmm. my kids going through something that's healthy and the fact that my kid experienced that hatred means and that this is where the reframe happens, right? It means that my kid's going to, you know, eventually stand up for, you know, his or herself and reject situations that aren't healthy because they recognize that it's unhealthy. So the, the very thing that you don't like can be uh, something that provides insight and also can be reframed as something positive.
4: Very nice. Whereas if yeah. you just
3: looked at it two-dimensionally, oh, well, the first snapshot I see is that I don't want them to be hateful or spiteful. But then again, the reframe is really there, and it's not you're not really stretching it. If you think about um, a growing, budding human being, you're not stretching it to say that there's a progression of learning along the way. It's true.
2: Yeah, that is true.
3: Mm-hmm. Everyone who still lives will learn more and more every day. So yeah, you're mm-hmm. stating an obvious truth. Nice. Or maybe it's not an obvious truth, but it's a truth.
2: But that brings up the topic of research on listening, which is kind of interesting. Okay. Um, Some of the older research looked at how soon people are interrupted by their physician on a typical office visit, Mm. and it was like within the first 18 seconds or something. Mm. Um, And then there's other statistics that, that talk about how a lot of patients would come out and tell researchers they never really got to something they were truly worried about to talk with with their physicians because there wasn't an opportunity. And that tells me that the physician was probably not using really open communication where anything was a viable topic. I don't know, a lot of people fear going in and when you're sitting in that room and the doctor's in a hurry and you know you've got a few minutes with them, yeah, You really got to have a good listener to get everything out, I think, um, that's yeah. worrying you. Um, and, you know, you can be the best surgeon in the world, but if you don't have good commu- communication, you're the one that's getting sued. I mean,
1: yeah. a lot
2: of litigation is around the fact that you didn't listen to me.
1: Yeah. I believe I heard this on a show. They were researching medical mistakes and who got sued and who didn't get sued. And they were trying to investigate what was it that caused certain doctors not to get sued. And the research demonstrated that it was a simple apology. Yes. When, when have, the doctor came mm-hmm. in and said, mm-hmm. look, uh, I dropped the ball. Mm-hmm. And I didn't approach this the right way. And we made a mistake. And you know uh, this, this is what happened. I want to tell you myself. If they just apologized, mm-hmm. their chances of getting sued plummeted. When, yes. when they try to get into defensive mode and they try to protect themselves and protect the hospital, and protect, they're more likely to get sued. Which is funny because that's probably not what a lawyer would advise you to do. A lawyer would say, don't admit to anything. Oh, don't. yeah. But right. we can say lawyers are wrong sometimes. Hmm. The research indicates that an apology works.
2: Well, right. And this gets down to the whole thing about listening. It's like, who's boss here? You know, physicians are very highly regarded in, in our country and in many countries. But again, we've got to remember that we're all on the same level. We're all human beings. And I, I just hate that that when people say, never apologize. You know, you hear that. Mm. Never apologize. Well, why not? Um,
3: it's so Ayn Rand of them. Yes, exactly. Ayn <laughs> um, Rand would approve of that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, to me, it just gets back to that authenticity, therapeutic use of self, just being real.
1: Yeah, if you are sorry, (laughs) go ahead and express that you're sorry. If you're not
3: sorry, yeah, if you're not sorry, you
2: don't, you know, you're not going to say it. Be authentic about it. There's tons of
1: research
3: um, now, currently, uh, on you know the apology as a way of influencing and persuading someone. You know, you can apologize ahead and get in the front of the line.
2: Tell me how to do that. Well it's like, you know,
3: um you stepping in front of the line, you're like, uh I'm sorry, I'm just gonna step in here. Is that all right with you? Because and you give a reason, however whatever that reason is. The studies show that when you do that, a statistically high amount of people will be okay with it.
2: Very interesting. Whereas but when the you because don't say is that, important? The
3: because is important because it, it creates a reason, it links it to a reason. And for some reason <laughs> for some reason, um when you hear because uh it links to that part of the mind which is equating it with something. It's like when someone reaches their hand out to shake your hand, the instinct, you may have even felt a twitch of wanting to reach for my hand as I lifted my hand up just a little bit mm. because a part of you recognizes that as the, you know, the trigger for you to reach out and grasp okay. hands. It's a reflex.
1: I have a side story about handshaking that I could share. I had a patient who developed intracranial pressure in his head, and he was having all kinds of you know, cognitive and, and motor planning problems, so he couldn't follow certain commands. So I would say, reach out and touch my finger. And he understood my words, but he couldn't get his brain to send the, the plan to his arm. But if I stuck my hand out to shake his hand, he could reach up and shake my hand. Oh, wow. So I taught him how to overcome his cognitive limitation by starting off with a handshake. Wow. So I would say, hey, shake my hand, touch my finger. And he'd he'd start to shake my hand, and then he'd be able to touch my finger. And I would say, okay, now I'm going to ask you to touch my finger, but I want you to think about shaking my hand. Can you do that? Yeah. He'd touch my finger. He'd think about shaking his hand, and he'd reach up and he'd touch my finger. Then, So he got to the point where he could start doing things again, because all he had to do was think about shaking his hand. Somebody's wow, hand first. that is... So, but that says something about automatic amazing. responses. Yeah, mm-hmm. Even when a person is having neurological damage... And they're not able to follow a command they still can respond to a handshake sometimes but stuff like that is magical i mean to the observer that looks
3: like a miracle that you did that that's and it's it is genius to take advantage of of what you know is going to work and to link it to map that experience across to the other
1: thing that you needed to have happen that's that's brilliant it was very fun (laughs) it really was fun yeah Yeah. magical results (laughs)
0: Listening to the Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Next up, Carlos and Satch continue their conversation with Dr. Janice Davis.
2: got this lingering question about apologies because i don't know about you but i i was raised that you should always apologize but then there's this other message from different sects like lawyers for don't ever apologize or yeah. who knows there's different mm-hmm. people that will mm-hmm. say those kinds of things because you want to be powerful you know it's all about your power and um then I always think, well, it's the strong person who can apologize. So I guess I want to know what you, your thoughts is there. Is there any weakness in apologizing?
3: Well, isn't isn't part of power uh, the ability to persuade? Yes, you know, to be effective, um, that, that is one aspect of power. Mm-hmm. And if you can be mentally and emotionally flexible enough to apologize, um, it opens up a whole world of you know, positive influence. I
2: like you. I like you (laughs) too. (laughs) I feel so much better about all the apologies I've given in my life. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you asked that question because I am an apologizer. I tend to apologize. We could look at an apology as being for the person that we're apologizing to, or we could look at the apology as being something that does something for me, the apologizer at some sort of energetic level. I feel like if I apologize to somebody, I am correcting some sort of flow of energy in myself that becomes more effective. And now I can communicate better. And now that person trusts me better. And we've started something. Um, So it's about me and it's about them. But I don't see any weakness Mm -hmm. in that at all. Mm -hmm. Ho'oponopono. Oh, yes. Right? Ho'oponopono is the
3: um, Huna tradition practice of forgiveness. It's a practice of making yourself right with the universe, right with the world, Mm -hmm. to put things right again. Mm -hmm. And there's a personal practice of ho'oponopono, and it's also something that's done in groups to facilitate conflict resolution. And I've heard that in... In Hawaii, um, there are some judges that will actually offer the opportunity to do ho'oponopono instead of whatever punishment there was. Because it's it's a recognized and officially recognized path toward remedying whatever it was. You know, maybe they stole some cars or they broke into a house or got in some fights or whatever it is. And they see that as a really powerful thing, the tool of not just apologizing, but really repairing whatever it was that was underneath the problem. What was creating the underlying condition of the problem. Mm. And it's beautiful. Yes, wow. it is. Yeah, that's what gorgeous. You, yeah, yeah. What you said, Satch mm. about changing what it is that's inside of you. Mm-hmm. That's what Ho'oponopono is all about is wow. cleansing, that's changing neat. that. You know, I've heard another way of putting it is cleaning the data. Yeah. You know, that it's the data. Yeah. That's the problem. The, the, the data, which is telling you that, um, you should hate this person or that you should behave in a particular addictive way or whatever it is. And by clearing that data or cleaning the data, mm-hmm. um, that's the practice of the Ho'oponopono.
1: Wow. That's like when my phone works better because I delete apps
3: that I don't need. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. You take yeah. a nap and suddenly your memory works better. Right. Right. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. Right.
1: Naps Very are nice. awesome. Wow. So do you think that apologizing is a form of gratitude?
2: Yes. I like that. I like how you put that.
1: Yeah. If, if I did something, whether it was intentional or unintentional, and I upset you,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I am grateful for you being in my life, for me to apologize, it's honoring, you know, the gratitude that I have for this other being, you yes. know, and the relationship that I have with that other being. So um, apologizing about is powerful, you know, and it's, um, it's an honorable, you know, quality to develop.
2: You were making me think about the native americans and their councils where they would all come in and sit in a circle yeah so you know they would have the talking stick mm. and they would pass it they would put it in the middle i think i've heard read some of this where anybody who wanted it could go pick it up and they didn't have to talk they could just hold it for a while and then they could pass it on to someone else and that person could then talk and no one really commented there was no commentary it was just allowing people to voice whatever they wanted to voice. So um, you can probably Google this and look up the man's name, but there's a Native American who's done work in prisons, and what he's doing is allowing these prisoners to sit in the circle, take the talking stick, and express themselves without judgment. And the article I was reading about said that most of most of these people in prison have lived a life full of being judged full of being told what to do, probably a lot of uh, negative feedback. And this is apparently causing a huge transformation in the prisoner's view of self.
4: Hmm.
2: So instead of being a a mistake, a bad person, however they label themselves, they are starting to have compassion for themselves and really changing, which to me is you know when i think about our prison system we have more people in prison than some countries have population you know yeah. um to think how do we get people to to listen to their children so they you know to listen to themselves so that we can have a healthier culture
3: that's a valuable point you know all these things are connected like um listening mm-hmm. and forgiveness and things like taking responsibility you know those are all Interwoven. I mean, if if you um, are truly to give a um, a sincere apology for anything, it means that you're taking responsibility for yourself, your feelings, your actions. To be a good listener, it seems like that falls hand in hand that you need to take responsibility.
2: Mm-hmm. Very much you know? so. Yes.
1: Boy, what a great society we would have if everybody learned this in kindergarten.
2: I right. Know. We talked
1: about that earlier. Yeah. I and without blame,
3: be, you know, you're talking about um, the prison system and the talking stick and that, you know, that can be a way of conflict resolution. Well, mm-hmm. I think the two of you have heard of non, uh, nonviolent communication. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that is about, um, you know, checking in with the way you're coming across and making sure that you, A, are listening, but B, that what you say is not harmful by blame, you know, by using blame to... Mm-hmm. to accuse and things like that. It's it's more about talking about the feelings. You mentioned that earlier in, in the show. I can tell you that in my own life and also in counseling settings too. So personal life as well as professional life, that's been invaluable to just talk about the feelings and to shift the focus away from blame and back onto responsibility. Hey, um I'm taking responsibility for um my words, my thoughts, my feelings, my actions and for this process, and inviting the person to take responsibility for themselves, and can we have a uh, a loving or open at least conversation about how we feel with the intent of um, having understanding to, to resolve this because it isn't necessarily about all the little things that happened or who said what he said she said, or the chronology of events per se once you listen to how they feel, a lot of the energy of attack is sort of sapped and taken away from the conversation you can drain a lot of that mm-hmm. just by by not being defensive by saying yeah bring it tell me how do you feel about that wow and relating active listening mm-hmm. i get that so what you're telling me is that really really pissed you off when 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 uh, you heard me say that mm-hmm. um what i'm getting is that um you know you're telling me that made you feel insecure, made you feel belittled, or whatever it is, and you're just repeating back to them with the intent of saying, I can listen to this person. I can care about how they feel, and it's no reflection upon me as a human being because mm-hmm. they're feelings, and you have a right to feel what you feel.
2: And this is beautiful with teenagers. I just have to get back mm. to the teenager because mm. if there's are there any parents are listening who have teenagers, you know how easy it is to have breaks in your relation, you know, to to have moments where, oh gosh, you know, this kid's going to hate me for the rest of his life, or they're going to move out and I'll never see him again. Disconnection. I mean, just that, it's so easy. Our words matter, you know, and, and we can hurt people by what we say. So if you can just use this with the people that you love and want to stay in your life forever, like your teenage children, or like your brother-in-law or whoever, you um,
3: Hypothetical brother-in-law.
2: Hypothetical brother-in-law, of course. (laughs) I mean, it just will really make a difference.
1: saying if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there to hear it doesn't make a sound i know the answer to that oh it does not make a sound it makes sound waves oh so the point is right um it's just physics until there is one there to listen and that transforms the entire thing into an experience and so to listen to another person i mean you literally have to stop and sacrifice a certain amount of time in your life, we're only on this planet for so long, then we're going to die. So every time you listen to somebody, you are offering your precious life energy to listen to them. And that is a very right. that is nuclear power right there. It's very, very powerful. So that's why I think, or that's one of the reasons why it's probably so powerful and so transformative to people, right? Is you're saying, I'm going to die someday, but I'm going to spend this time and I'm going to connect with you right now and I'm going to listen, you know? Um, and sometimes it's just another person's willingness to listen, even if you don't need them to, I, I, I can, I can share one of these one time, okay. right? Mm-hmm. There was a time Carlos and I had a conversation and, um, you Carlos were a little bit concerned about the topic and you were a little concerned that maybe I was upset about our conversation. I was, mm-hmm. oh, yes, offended, I right? remember. Yeah. And, and you called me uh, a day or two went by, you know, and you, you called me and you just wanted to check in and make sure that you didn't upset me or you know what I mean and and I wasn't thinking about the conversation you know um you know a day or two later when we spoke I I you know we left the restaurant and I wasn't thinking about it at all but it it meant so much to me that you were thinking about it and that it meant a lot to you that you didn't want me to be upset about it just the fact that you reached out to talk to me about it my goodness what did that do for our relationship it was like man see yeah. how awesome carlos is mm. see how caring he is what a, he was thinking about this and he values me and it bothered him just the thought that i might have been upset about something and you had to clear it up and i wasn't upset about it you know yeah. um but my goodness just the fact that you reached out and wanted to hear and make sure that i wasn't Holy cow, was that powerful. You know, it really was, you know. That is powerful. And it's so beautiful when you can be,
3: um, when you can trust somebody enough to know that it's okay to not protect yourself all the time. Mm -hmm. And we go into the situation with our armor on, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Iron Man, right? You know, we we, we (laughs) go into, like, we're going into battle all the time. And there's so many people that I've met who really haven't learned that it is safe, that you're much more powerful than this moment. It's okay Mm -hmm. to be vulnerable. Mm hmm. You know, nothing bad's going to happen. It's a mindset. It's okay. And so I knew in that moment that I was checking with you because I cared about your feelings, but also because I knew that um, I was sensing that I lost track. And usually mm. I have a, a sense of a, of a groove or a kind of a feeling of mm-hmm. my own rhythm. And mm. I knew that I, I, that there was some gaps in my attention mm. in a way that I don't usually feel. And I thought, hmm, I lost track there. I'm worried that maybe I may have overstepped, or mm-hmm. that my ego might have, you know, uh, offended you in some ways. So I just wanted to check in because I trust you that you would never, you would always be honest with me, and, and mm-hmm. um, it's great to have that when you can you can step into something, a relationship with somebody that's um, based in trust, based in you know the safety is there. I can mm-hmm. be vulnerable, and it's not weakness; it's openness. Yeah, you know, and it, nice. it deepens and nice. makes the friendship deeper.
1: Right, you know? right. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. That's so important. Transformative. Yeah.
4: Yes,
2: yes. I think that's one of the barriers to you know reconciliation or whatever you want to call it, is just that fear of uh, exposure. But to be vulnerable can be a sign of strength or to allow yourself to be vulnerable. It's interesting in the compassionate listening training that I've done, the trainers always speak about something in their own life that they're upset about And it's very authentic, so Mm. you really get the sense that no matter who I'm I'm with, that person is a human being. You don't put anybody on a pedestal. I once had someone walk by me, and I this this was some divine intervention or something. This man was walking into a store, and I was walking out, and he looked at me and he said, "Who's better than you?" Wow! Whoa! Because you know I was raised on. Oh, that person is somebody. that person is better than you, mm. or who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. you know and, and that's compassionate listening is all about wow, everybody has problems, everybody has struggles, everybody has fears, and that is so freeing to me
3: so Janice, um what resources are available for people if if they're listening to this and they thought, you know what, I relate to a lot of things I heard here. Um, but where do I begin?
2: Go look at the compassionate listening project website. Um, it's very good. They're up in Seattle. They have trainings periodically and they have a beginner and then an advanced compassionate listening training. It's interesting. They just had a training that focused on the conflict between people who are pro president, against president well, that's a good right one. now mm, and topic. so I, i'm anxious to see how how that one went um but it was it was to train people how to have a, di- a a compassionate dialogue about our differences um there's a lot of ted talks on listening um so i would i would google ted talks on effective listening Let's see, Judy S B-R-O-W-N-E-L-L, has a really good book on listening, and she goes through therapeutic listening to listening for pleasure. She goes through all the, the different contexts for listening. There's a book called Time to Think, and that is an excellent book, but it's a little complicated. It, it talks about strategies to get people to think better through your listening and the premise is that you have to listen and and query people about what their assumptions are about their situation. So it's a little deep, but I think it time to think is is a really good book to uh, to look at if you're interested in. It's a, going at a deeper level, though. So yeah, I think there is a lot of information on the internet about listening. Uh, listening as a parent, there's a lot of resources for parents on how to listen to children. In adolescence, that's um, great, and that's easy to Google and find. So yeah, it's out there. It's out there, um, and you know, start a community of listeners. You know, if if you wanted, oh,
3: you're reminding me. I went to um, go to the store, and there was a lady out in the front of the Sprouts. With a big cardboard cutout thing she was holding, and it says, "It said free listening."
2: Yes, I've seen that before, oh. and I love it. It was awesome, and, That's I, and great. I,
3: at first, I was a little, t- you know, I was tickled, and I mm-hmm. had my groceries, and I put it away, and I came back. I said, "Hey, you know what? Um, what's this all about? Like, tell, tell me." And she just said, "Well, um, I'm just volunteering to listen. So if you have anything you want to talk about." I said about anything, and she said, "Yeah, absolutely, no judgment. I just, I'm just here to listen." So I said, "For how long?" She said, "As long as you want, as long as I'm here." And I said, "Wow, that's really interesting." And and so I started asking her some questions, and then eventually started talking to her a little bit about that. And you know, I just thought, what a great idea! Because in a in the long run, if people did that more, um, there'd be a lot less angst. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: you know, there's like the free hugs mm-hmm. campaign, right? Exactly. You know? So did
2: she use a lot of silence? Did she primarily mm-hmm. just sit she in, primarily, yeah, she just, in silence?
3: She just listened. I mean, of course, she answered mm-hmm. my questions. Mm-hmm. But basically, she just listened. She mm-hmm. she said, yeah, anything you want to talk about. Yeah. yeah. doesn't matter what it is.
2: Hey, it's an opportunity to dump, <laughs> you know, yeah. to just yeah. get it all out there and just walk away.
3: That is something that people can do, mm-hmm. uh, I suppose, right? Like You can walk out, um, you know, pick a day of the week. Mm-hmm. You know, or a weekend and and put a sign on or wear a shirt that says free listening and go out there and practice. Yeah. Get out there. Listen to people and don't judge,
2: just listen. Mm-hmm. That would be an excellent way to start learning how to listen. I thought about doing that myself because I've heard about people that do that. Mm-hmm. I just haven't quite mm. pulled the plug on it or pulled. What do you do? I don't want to pull the plug. Pull I'm the trigger. Pull the trigger. There you go. Yeah. Um, Bang.
1: The listening hour. The listening hour. Maybe each person could secretly pick one hour of the day and just say, that is going to be the hour that I am just going to be a kick-ass listener. Yeah. That's a great idea. Every day from Mm. three to four, I'm going to just turn up my listening. No one even needs to know. Nobody even knows. (laughs) And then maybe you can get brave and do it one day a week. Every Thursday. You know what will happen? Covert listening.
2: People will start looking at you funny like, what happened to you? And then they might start kind of wanting to be around you more <laughs> because you're you know, you're offering something that's pretty cool.
3: Yeah, so be careful who yeah. you do this with. Well,
2: you might want to. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You might want to.
3: <laughs> I like it. I like <laughs> it. Yeah. Well, it's been fabulous listening to both of you tonight.
2: Same here. This likewise, likewise. Yeah.
3: And we're mm-hmm. super grateful for the listeners out there that are listening to us.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. Keep listening.
3: Janice, always a pleasure seeing you. Thank you for for coming over and sharing more of your wisdom because I I think this has been a great opportunity to learn more about what interests you and your areas of expertise. And I do hope that you will come back and talk with us more about this and other things. Thank you. You're a wellspring of, of knowledge and experience and we respect you highly.
2: Well, thank you, Carlos and Satch. It's been fun.
0: Been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. A very special thanks to our guest, Dr. Janice Davis. The show is produced by Oliver Alteen. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Alteen. You can find more information on our website, AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening and have an authentic day.